Uh, let's pray uh, together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you um, in advance for what you're going to teach us and show us. Uh, and, and thank you, God, of what you have done and are doing in this church uh, to be a church that cares for the community, uh, especially as we care um, for foster kids, uh, kids without parents in our community. God, I pray that we would continue to do that really well as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are down to the final three messages of relevance. So we started way back in, the, in uh, January. We're almost finished. And so what we're doing for this last final stretch is we're looking at one author and one book and one passage that each author has written. So uh, last, or two weeks ago was Paul. Last week was Hebrews. We don't actually know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, this week is James. Next week is Peter. And the week after that on December 10th is John. Um, and John wrote the book of Revelation. And so we're going to be talking about the book of Revelation um, in a few weeks. Uh, and on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, while all of you were watching football, I was reading, trying to figure out the book of John. I'm like, Revelation, like, I don't know what this means. There's horses and dragons and lions and tigers and bears and 49ers in there. I don't know. So, uh, but I've been working hard. I don't have it yet, but we'll, we'll see where she comes out. Um, but today is uh, the book of James. And James uh, only wrote one book. Uh, and, th- and there's a couple of Jameses in the Bible. So this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. So that's who James is. Now, before we jump into James, I want to go back two weeks And we were looking at Paul as the author, and we looked at a passage in the book of Ephesians. And I want to read to you a central passage from Ephesians that we looked at. And this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." And so we talked at length two weeks ago, if you weren't here, we talked about salvation is based on faith, not on our works. And I talked about how that is foundational to everything else. If we get that foundation wrong, if we miss the fact that our, faith, that our salvation is based on faith and faith alone, then it messes up a whole bunch of other thinking with life. So if you want to catch that sermon, that was two weeks ago uh, that I gave that message. Today, we're in the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 2. In the middle of James chapter 2, it says this. This is verse 24. It says, You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. Which, on the surface, seems to say something different than what Paul was saying. You are saved through grace. You are saved through faith not by works. And then James says a person is justified or saved by what he does and not by faith alone. And you wonder, okay, what happened? Did did James, did he miss a meeting that was kind of important where they settled this thing? Uh, Did he get it wrong? Did Paul get it wrong? How do we reconcile these two passages? Martin Luther, the great reformer uh, from the 1500s, said this about the book of James. This was in the preface to the book of James um, in his commentary. He said this. He said, Paul's epistles are the books that show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary and salvatory for you to know. Therefore, St. James' epistle is a perfect style, excuse me, is a perfect straw epistle compared with them, 
for it has in it nothing of evangelic kind, right? A little different, he writes a little different than we do. But he looked at this and he goes, the, what Paul wrote, man, that's amazing. It is strong, it holds up. But what James wrote, it's kind of a straw epistle. It kind of breaks down. And that's what, that was his view of James early on sort of in his theological development. And so we look at that and we go, how do we put all this together with what James says about faith and what Paul says about faith. How do we put all this together? So that's what we're going to do this morning. So this morning, let me kind of tell you where we're going. First of all, I need you to put on your thinking caps, okay? Because we're going to look at some scriptures. We're going to look at a couple of different ones. We're going to look at some things in context. We're going to take, talk about a couple of different things. So first thing is we need to put on our thinking caps to figure this out. And the second question, or the second thing is this is I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to repeat this a number of times. And the question is this, is what kind of faith do I have? And so as we're talking about this, the running sort of dialogue that I would hope will go through your brain is, what kind of faith do I have? What kind of faith do I have? That's going to be the refrain, if you will, of the message this morning. What kind of faith do I have? Now, Whenever you find something in the Scriptures, the Bible, that doesn't make sense to you, you look at it and you go, that doesn't make sense. I don't quite get that. And that happens from time to time, and I recognize that. But whenever that happens, the best thing that you can do is look at the passage that you don't understand, look at it in context. Look at it, look at it in context. So you're going to take the verse in the context of the passage and then you're going to take the passage and look at it in the context of the biblical narrative as a whole. But then you can also look at the cultural context, and that will sometimes help you to understand a verse that's difficult or a passage that's difficult. And then you also look at the context of the words and meaning and language and how, to, how are words used, and that will help you as well. So those are just some general broad things. Whenever you approach the Bible, and you're like, ah, that don't make no sense. What does that mean? Use that context uh, as your lens to look through that. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at the context of this entire passage beginning in James chapter 2, okay? Verse 14. James 2, 14. It says this. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So that's a great question. What is saving faith? And again, the refrain question is, what kind of faith do I have? What kind of faith do you have? But the question he's asking is, what is saving faith? How do we determine what constitutes a faith that will actually save us and put us in God's presence? You know, there's different questions that we might ask ourselves in that. We say, well, is, you know, do I have to be a faithful church attender? Is that part of saving faith? Or do I need to believe in God? Is that what's required if I believe in God? Or is it if I believe in Jesus, that he was the Son of God, died on the cross, and rose from the dead? Is that saving faith? Or is it believing in Jesus and also doing some amount of good works? Is that saving faith? Or is it being a good person and then adding some amount of faith to that? Right? And those are all questions we're like trying to figure this out. And that's what James is introducing us to, this question of faith and deeds and how do they fit together. If someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? 
you know, and then if we're talking about these good works, and we will kind of have to ask the question, well, how many good works does it require? Like, how many little old ladies do I have to help across the street? How many nice things can I say? What can I get away with? You know, all those kind of things. Like, where does all of that fit in? How good is good enough if there's faith? How much works is enough if we're going to have that as part of this equation? So then what James does next is he gives an illustration. So here's the illustration. He says this, now I'm in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Or what kind of faith is that? Again, he's making an illustration. So just to be clear, what he's not saying here, although it's a good application, what he's not saying is everybody or the measure of faith is whether you feed the hungry and keep the homeless warm, right? That's, I mean, those are good things to do, but he's not saying that's the measure of faith. He's making an illustration. He's saying, if you say, go in peace, be warm and filled, are you actually helping that person? You're not unless you actually give them a blanket or food or whatever it might be. He's saying it's kind of absurd to say, peace, I wish you well, go forth, but not actually do anything about it. It's interesting in a very practical way. Um, many of you know that on the west side of Charleston, they, there's a lack of heat because there's problems with the gas lines and the water lines being mixed up. It's in the newspapers and you guys know all that. Um, but we as a church say, you know, we care about the west side. We have partners on the west side. And so we took, uh, we bought 30 blankets and 30 heaters, about $2,000 worth of stuff, and took it down to the second avenue, uh, and then they handed it out, right? And I, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was last week I mentioned that. So we did that just to be a blessing to, in other words, saying we care about our friends on the west side, and we're going to do something about it, right? If I were to say, hey, we care about you, but we do nothing about it, then I don't really care about them. It's just kind of lip service. So an interesting little follow-up to that is, um, so the packet, the, all these things came in. I loaded them in my car, um, the blankets, the, 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 we bought the heaters locally, put those in my car. I took them down to deliver to Teresa at, um, at the Second Avenue Center. Uh, and then I arrive in church last Sunday, um, and I go into the, like, the office area, and there's a package from Amazon. I'm like, didn't order a package from Amazon. But I, so I open it up, and in there, there are two heated blankets. There's, uh, yeah, heated blankets. And I was a little bit, like, flustered, frustrated. I'm like, these don't do me any good. Like, we took all these down. They had a big giveaway. They're not really helping anybody by sitting in here in a package in my office. It's kind of too little too late. This is last Sunday morning. So I walk out um, to the lobby, and I see a friend of mine, right? And, I haven't, and he comes to church here pretty regularly, but I just hadn't seen him in a couple of months, and maybe we'd missed each other, whatever. And he comes in, and I give him a big hug. I'm like, hey, Jay, how you doing? And I give him a hug. Um, and he lives on the west side. And I said, hey, man, how's it going? He goes, man, we are so cold in our house. We don't have the heat turned on. I'm like, ding, let me tell you what God did. And I go back to the office, and I bring him these two heat blankets. And it was one of those things that God just kind of put that together. I share that just because it's a neat story of what God is doing. It overlaps here with when you care about something, it makes you do something about it. And that's what James is saying. So then he continues on in verse 17. He said, 
So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he's saying, if you say you have faith, but you don't do anything about it, if there's no meat to it, then it's dead. It's useless. Now, let's go back. And so we're still at this kind of like, well, how do we put these things together? I want to go back and read Ephesians 2. It says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so we look at that and we're like, how do we put that together? Because James says it's faith and works, and Paul says it's faith alone. How do we put those two things together? So Here's how we put this together. And again, remember, we said we look at things in the context, what we're doing, but we also look at things linguistically, and we say, are they using this word the same way? And here's the thing is, they're both using, using the word faith, but they're using the word faith in slightly different ways, okay? And the thing is, and you go, well, they're not supposed to do that. Well, we do that all the time, right? I love chocolate, I love Stacy, my wife, right? I do not mean the same thing with those two words, do I? If I do, I'm in a world of hurt, right? Or I was thinking that sometimes we even use words that are uh, that have opposite meanings, right? I was thinking about the word nasty, right? And like You taste some kind of food and you go, ooh, that's nasty, right? You know what I mean when I say that? Ooh, that's nasty, right? But then I'm watching a basketball game and some guy goes down and dunks like, that's a nasty dunk. It's the opposite, right? So we look here and faith has a nuance or a difference of meaning in the way that James uses it and the way that Paul uses it. And so let me give it to you. We're actually going to put this on the screen. So for James, faith is intellectual assent. He's saying faith, and when he's using it here, he's saying faith is just intellectual assent. Whereas when Paul uses the word faith, he's saying faith is trusting God to do what he says, trusting in God's faithfulness and his character. They're using it in different ways. And that's why when James talks about faith, faith being intellectual assent, just believing in something without, a, without kind of leaning into that, he's saying that's useless, that is dead. And he's going to go on, and he's going to give another illustration of this. Okay, So now we're in James chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, okay? So, by the way, faith and believe, that's the exact same word. One is the noun, one is the verb. In English, it just happens to be two very different looking words. In Greek, Faith and believe are the same word. One's a verb, one's a noun. Just helps to understand that. But it says, you believe, so you have faith that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So if all you have is an intellectual assent to a set of facts, that's the same thing that the demons have, right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? So do the demons. Do you believe that Jesus performed miracles? So the demons. Check. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? So do the demons. Check. Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? So the demons. Check. If all that you have is an intellectual assent to the facts, what James is saying, he's saying that's not sufficient for saving faith. Okay? So again, I go back to you and I ask this question, 
what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a faith that's just an intellectual assent to a set of facts? Or do you have an authentic, life-changing faith, a faith that makes a difference in your life? What James says here is something that his older brother, if you will, Jesus, said as well. And I want to look at Matthew chapter 7. So I would say, stay in James and I'll read Matthew 7. It says this. Bless you. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So James and Jesus are saying the same thing. What James is saying, he says, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, is actually a true believer. Just giving me lip service, saying, yeah, I believe, does not make you an authentic believer, right? And even doing a couple of things, it almost be like if we say, you know, if we call Jesus Lord, Lord, and I went to church. It's like, well, it's more than just an intellectual assent and a couple of little things that you do. So then at that point, and again, kind of trying to put myself in your head and your space, the question that you probably are asking at this point is, well, do I have authentic faith? And that's a great question to ask. And we're going we're to answer that a little bit over the rest of the sermon. But here's the thing is, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question of whether you have authentic faith. I can, I can hear you say the words, I believe in Jesus. I can hear you pray a prayer. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead and I placed my faith in him. I can, I can hear that. I can see you get baptized, but I can't see into your heart. Only you can see into your heart, which is why we ask the question, what kind of faith do you have? You know the reality of, do you just have kind of a lip service faith, or do you have an authentic faith? James continues, says this. This is verse 20. It says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Okay? That what he's talking about of offering up Isaac, that comes from Genesis chapter 22, okay? comes from Genesis chapter, what chapter? Remember that, that's going to be irrelevant, okay? comes from Genesis chapter, excellent, okay. Now, there's a lot in the Bible about Abraham. Um, I kind of came to faith a little bit later in life, so I didn't ever go to vacation Bible school. But there's a, there's a song about Abraham that maybe you learned when you were a kid, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. Come on. Many sons had Father Abraham. And one of them. So let's. Okay, that's, that's I learned that right hand, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. He did this and he did the left hand and the left foot. And then I think stand up, turn around, right? Okay. 
So I, I did not learn that until I was like 19, and it was too embarrassing to do, but that's when I learned that um, when I was in college. So Father Abraham had many sons, and one of his sons was Isaac, right? And the story of Isaac, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, is in Genesis chapter... Good. This was just a distraction to see if you would remember 22. Okay. Now, Cliff Notes' version of that is God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, Isaac. And so Abraham says, okay. And he takes Isaac on this three-day journey. He takes him up on this mountain. He puts him on the wood. And the whole time he's believing that God, because this is the son, one of his sons, but this is his first son, that will be the heir or who the promise will come through, right? And so he's like, I'm going to do this, but God will figure this out. Maybe he'll raise him from the dead. Maybe something else will happen. So that's what he does. He goes to sacrifice his son, and at the last minute, God comes in, shows him a ram in the thicket. He takes the ram, and he sacrifices that, right? So that's what James is pointing to. He says, look at Abraham. He had faith, and he had works. He was willing to trust me with his own son, Isaac. Interestingly enough, Paul also talks about Abraham as an example of faith. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. It says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay? So they both use Abraham. Now, it says, but he, um, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's from Genesis chapter 15. Okay? Genesis what chapter? 15. Okay, now this is, this is the tough question. I want to make sure everybody's on board here, right? What number comes first, 15 or 22? 15. Good, 15. All right. Now, here's why that's important is what it's talking about is, and, and this, is, this helps to put all of this together, is Abraham was justified by faith. I believe God, right? He hadn't done anything at that point in time. That's chapter 15, right? And then later comes the work, if you will, the action based on the faith of I'm willing to sacrifice my son Isaac. That comes 22, or not 22 chapters later, seven chapters later, okay? And so what we see in this is it's this understanding that we have faith. He had faith. It was there from the beginning, but then when he acted on that faith, it showed that the faith that he had was authentic. Continue on back in the book of James. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So he's talking about here, again, he's talking about authentic faith. You see a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. Faith alone there, he's talking about, and it's not just an intellectual assent to a set of facts. Saying that when there, and again, he's used this example of Abraham, when there is true authentic faith, yes, you will have this intellectual assent to the facts, but it will be life-changing. And that's what happened with Abraham. I want to tell you something that I told you two weeks ago because it fits here as well. And I didn't... I, it, anyways. This is what I said two weeks ago, and it, and it fits here. It says this. 
We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works, right? And that's, this is helpful to put these two things together of faith and works. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for our good works. Uh, about two weeks ago, minus a day, I was on Facebook, and uh, somebody put on their Facebook page, they quoted the sermon, and, but they, they missed a, a word. Actually, they only missed a letter, but they, they put this. They said, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for God works. And I was like, that's not what I said. I don't know if it's a typo or you transpose it in your head or whatever, but like, I really like that. Like, you are saved to do the work of God on this earth. I love that. Now, again, we ask this question, what kind of faith do you have? You look at Abraham's faith, and you go, am I in trouble? Because I don't have that kind of faith, right? Like, I'm not going to sacrifice my child for God. Like, I'll sacrifice eating pizza, I'll sacrifice some money, I'll sacrifice going to a ball game, I'll sacrifice sleep, but I'm not sure that I'm going to sacrifice that. And so there's this big example of faith like Abraham, right? And I think the readers of James were like, I don't have that kind of faith. Am I okay? And I love what James does here. He says this, verse 25. He says, in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Rahab was a prostitute, Kids, our preschoolers are not learning about Rahab today, right? Sister Rahab had many men, and many men had Sister Rahab, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's, they're, they're, that song does not exist, and for good reason it doesn't exist, right? So the thing is, but you look at that and you go, Abraham man of incredible faith, Rahab, a prostitute, both of them had saving faith. Why? Because they had the intellectual assent to the reality of who God was as they knew him, and they acted on that faith. All of us are on this spectrum, somewhere between the faith of Abraham and the faith of Rahab. And the question is, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have the kind of faith where you act on your faith? And he concludes in verse 26. He says, for as, part, for as the body part, excuse me, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He's saying that if you have just an intellectual assent to, to facts, it's not authentic faith. There needs to be a faith that affects your life. Share a kind of a concluding story, a couple applications, uh, and then a closing thought. Um, so I have a, a, an uncle. His name is Uncle Tom. And we see each other every now and again. And uh, so one of the things that happens when our family gets together is we eat dinner and then we push back from the table and drink a lot of wine. I don't drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of wine, and we solve world problems. Like, that's Thanksgiving. Like, you know, like, we're solving the problem in the Middle East this past uh, Friday night with our family. We're solving, and we're just, you know, that's what they do. So one night, this is, gosh, probably four or five years ago, maybe even longer, 
We're uh, up at our cottage in Michigan. My Uncle Tom is there, his wife Sally, my mom and dad, Stacy and I, and we're just kind of pushed back from the table, and we get on the topic of faith, right? And my mom, I call her the evangelical atheist. Like, getting on the topic of faith with my mom is a little bit dangerous. Like, it's a bit duck and cover, right? And so, but we're getting on the, and, and my mom begins to go on this kind of tirade about these people who claim to be Christians, and then they just do these horrific things, right? And she's listing off all these horrific things and, and so forth. And, and my, my uncle, um, who's a pretty devout Catholic, is, is trying to defend faith a little bit, and, and I'm trying to defend faith, and we're all kind of ducking for my mom a little bit. And so, and then my, um, my uncle, and again, we're talking about, the, we're talking about this kind of the same issue that we're talking about here as far as the connection of faith and how you live your life, right? And my mom's like, you know, if you're really Christian, you're not, you know, she's kind of going off, right? And this is what my uncle says. And he says this, and I put it on a different page. I want to make sure I get this right. He says this, and, and this is like theology with a lot of wine, and there's going to be a swear word in what I say. Is that, are you okay with that? Okay, if that's a problem, then just, yes. We do not need to amen on that. <laughs> but this is what my uncle says, and it, it sums up James in a great way. He says this. He says, you know, if you truly have faith... You won't do whatever the hell you want to do. I'm like, that's some good theology there, right? You got to use a swear word to make it work. But that's what, he, that's what James is saying. He's saying, if you have authentic faith, then you won't just say, hey, I believe this and live however the H-E double hockey sticks you want to live. So I want to close with three considerations for authentic faith to help you to kind of wrestle with this yourself. Just going to give you three real quick here. The first one is love, okay? Is there a difference in your life on how you love opposed to before you met Christ? Or is there a difference in how you love because of your faith that would be different or is different if you did not have faith in Christ? You know, is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you have patience with people? Do you have gentleness with people? Do you have peace with people? Do you pursue those things? Do you love people well? Do you love people better than if you didn't have faith? Here's the second consideration for authentic faith, is decisions. Decisions. As you look at the decisions in your life, do you consider what God would have you do? As you're making decisions, whether it's big things, small things, you know, when you look at the things in your life, the decisions in your life, do you bring God into that, right? And that's not to say that you get it right all the time or any of that. I'm not saying that. It's like if you want God's opinion and value what he says in your life, that's a sign that you have authentic faith because he's influencing your life. And then here's the third is a view of sin. If you have sin in your life, that bothers you, that's a sign of authentic faith, okay? Sin in your life is it, the absence of sin, which is where, where you put it, but to say, okay, I, if authentic faith means you never sin again, then, then we're all hurting, right? But what I'm saying here is, do you have sin in your life that bothers you? Because, you know, as I look at my own life, there are sins that I struggle with, that I've struggled with over time and haven't been able to get rid of. And, and on my bad days or on my bad moments, I think, 
maybe I'm not an authentic Christian because I'm still committing this sin over and over again. Maybe I'm not. But then I realize that if I was not an authentic Christian, if I didn't actually believe these things in the way that James is talking about it, then those things wouldn't bother me. Because people who aren't Christians, they're sinning and they don't really care what anybody thinks. Like the fact that I have a conscience about my sin, even though it's a battle, and even though I don't win that all the time, it shows that I'm an authentic believer in Christ because it matters to me. So this morning, if you examine your life and you come to the conclusion that you do not have authentic faith, and maybe that's the case this morning, you realize hearing about this saying, you know what, I think I've just kind of had this intellectual assent to believing in Jesus, but it's not authentic faith. Then I want to encourage you this morning to make that decision, to say, today, here, this morning, I make a decision that I want to have an authentic faith, a faith not just about saying I believe something, not just about lip service, but a faith that makes a difference in my life, and a faith that makes a difference in other people's lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you um, for these words from James, and these words from Jesus, and these words from Paul, and that they are all from you. That your desire for us is that we would have a faith that works a faith that makes a difference in our lives and it makes a difference in the lives of people around us. God, give us the courage and the strength to live life like that. In Jesus' name, amen.